0: What is the mission of the church? Now, now that might seem like an obvious question to some of you, but that's actually been a, a kind of conversation that's been going on amongst pastors, missiologists, and churches, hot and heavy for the past decade. And there have been a number of different answers that have come out. In fact, in Transforming Mission, David Bosch writes that since the 50s, there's been a remarkable escalation in the use of the word mission Amongst Christians. And this went hand in hand with a significant broadening of the concept, at least in certain circles. Now, mission once meant to send Christians cross culturally to evangelize non Christians and plant churches. That is a a traditional understanding of mission. But today, mission can mean all sorts of things. And you might have heard this, that uh, mission is to revitalize a neighborhood, or to renew the city, or to eradicate poverty, or care for the environment. In fact, this conversation took on so many different forms that it led to Stephen Neal to respond that if everything is mission, then nothing is mission. Of course, Chris Wright quickly quipped back, actually, if everything is mission, everything is mission. Well, that helped clarify things, didn't it? Well, I think Keith uh, Fernando uh, really is helpful here because he laid out four different ways that people look at mission. And I wanted to share those with you, uh, not to confuse you or bog you down, but just to give you a a kind of understanding of the ways that people are looking at this word from different angles. And there's some truth in all of them, though I don't think all of them are true. So the, the first is the Missio Dei vision of mission. Now this is an understanding that says that essentially God is the one who's on a mission and and everybody including the church is welcome to join God on that mission for doing all sorts of things whether that be renewing the environment or bringing about uh, sort of um, uh, cohesion and coherence to social structures like that's what God's doing and so everybody's kind of invited to join God in this thing. And you might or might not be the church as a part of that. And you could be a non-Christian joining God in that mission, even if you're unwittingly doing so. Uh, There's a second way that people talk about mission. That is the cultural mandate. Now, this comes from Genesis 1, 26 to 28. And this is a vision of mission that comes from where God tells Adam and Eve that they are to uh, essentially exercise dominion over the earth, to take and subdue it. And so here the difference is, is it's the church that is actually called to do those things, to bring about um, the alleviation of poverty and uh, to bring about uh, social justice. These are things that the church is invited to do along with the purposes of redemption. There's a third way uh, that they describe it, and that is social action. Now, this is a little bit simpler. They say basically there are two purposes of the church. Uh, That is social justice and the gospel or evangelism. And and, and social justice and evangelism are kind of like the two wings on a bird. And you have to have both of them to take flight. Well, the last one is uh, one that I would say uh, is what I understand to be more biblical. Not to say that aspects of all that I just described are 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 somewhat true in some ways. There are aspects of each of these that are important. But I would say that all of them fail, and they fail in this point, and that is the point of priority. Where do we put our priority as the church? What is the unique thing that God has raised up a people to do this side of the cross until Christ returns? And I think this fourth view answers that. It is the traditional understanding that making disciples of all nations is the essential, exclusive content of mission. Now, just again, to be clear, disciples of Jesus care about injustice. Uh, but even more, we know that they're called not just to care about injustice, but to go beyond that and to actually love their neighbors so that uh, it's not just like try to alleviate injustice, but it's actually to promote the love of God that has been shown to us in Christ. Christ. And part of being a disciple is learning to think with the mind of Christ as individual Christians in such a way that we are able to exalt Christ in every sphere of our lives, both public and private. So the question of the above isn't really an issue of importance as much as it is priority, the priority of the proclamation of the gospel. Now, I heard a great illustration this week that just really helped me connect with this. Uh, I don't know if you realize this, but IHOP is actually considered has actually considered changing its name to IHOB. They are changing the P to a B to represent instead of pancakes, which they do very well, burgers, which they don't do very well. Now, here's I think the illustration and connection point. We just want to make sure that what we are known for is not that we don't do certain things, but that we have a priority of doing the thing which we uniquely do well, which is proclaiming the gospel. It is the church of God that has been called to do that. So we want to keep our name as an international house of preaching the word of God, right? Now, the church must never lose the focus on the mission of proclaiming a cross-centered gospel, and I believe that Jesus draws attention to this In a familiar text to us, Matthew 28, 16 to 20. So we've been there before in this series. We're going back. We're going to speed through some things that we've covered. We're going to highlight other things. That's what we're going to do in this message. And here what we're going to find in Matthew 28 is this, that Jesus sends his church on mission to make disciples of all nations through gospel proclamation. That's what God has called us to. Sending his church on mission to make disciples of all nations through gospel proclamation. Now, we see this first in verses 16 to 17. And I just want to spend a, a few seconds, a few minutes, thinking about this question. Who does God send on his mission? Because I think that's important. Like, some of us trip up right here when we don't understand who it is that God sends on his mission. Uh, now, look with me again in Matthew 28. We're going to look at verses uh, 16 to 17. we We're going to read there from the Word of God. Matthew 28 we begin with verses 16 and 17. This is what the Word of God says. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountains to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now, you might remember sort of coming up to this very point. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary had gone and told the disciples, you need to meet Jesus in Galilee. And we didn't get GPS coordinates for exactly where that is. And we don't exactly know what mountain it is that Jesus is meeting with the disciples on. In fact, if you read through Matthew, you'll remember that Jesus spends a lot of time on mountains. In fact, as you read through, you'll notice that he met Satan on a mountain in chapter four. He preaches the Sermon on the Mount in chapter five, fed 5,000 from a mountain in chapter 15, and then of course, he, we had the Mount of Transfiguration in chapter 17, the Mount of Olives teaching in chapter 24. And here, Matthew concludes with Jesus yet again on what? A valley. No, it's a mountain. And on this mountain, we find him speaking with a kind of unprecedented authority. Now, this could be the Mount of Beatitudes where he began his ministry, but we don't know. But here's what we do know. And I love what commentator Frederick Bruner says here in his insight on these disciples that Jesus is speaking to. He says this. The number that he gives here, the number 11, it limps. It is not perfect like 12. And Matthew sees Jesus commanding a defective 11. Do you see it? Even saying the number 11, it it reminds us that it's not quite the dozen that Jesus began with. We are reminded of Judas who actually sold out Jesus and then took his own life. It is a hobbled group that has come before Jesus on this mountain. 11 actually, I believe, calls the great and great commission into question, doesn't it? I mean, is this the, the church that Jesus promised to build in Matthew sixteen eighteen, where he told Peter and the other disciples that the gates of Hades or death will not prevail against it? Seems like it's already winning. And yet here what we find is, is because Judas is dead and Peter ran off, It is a deficient group. And then verse 17 doesn't exactly bolster our confidence anymore. Notice that Matthew says, and when they saw him, they worshiped him. That's a right response. And then why did he have to add this? But some doubted. I mean, good, you know, a pastor would probably want to cover that kind of thing up. Weakness. Like, let's cover up weakness and deficiency. You know, our others, when they look at this, they actually, as they look at this doubt, argue that the some that doubted may speak of another group who was there and not disciples of Jesus. In other words, the, the disciples worshipped Jesus while others present doubted. Not like the perfect worship of those disciples who all through the Gospels look like winners, right? But I don't think so. See, I think it's much more likely here in context that Matthew is intentionally highlighting, highlighting an important reality about the nature of these disciples that many of us can relate to. Now, you might be asking, why did Matthew have to put that in here? And I believe this is the answer. He put it in there for you and me. We needed this doubt. We needed to see imperfect disciples because catch this, Jesus, he didn't just come to rescue sinners, he came to employ and deploy them on his search and rescue mission. He came to use failed, flawed, imperfect sinners to the glory of his name to make much of him. So before we ever get to the word of mission, we need to talk about the who. Now, I don't know about you, but it's hard for me to relate to a Peter that preached at Pentecost or, or to John who visited heaven. But I can really relate to Peter recovering from the shame of denying Jesus three times to a little girl. Or Thomas needing to put his hands through the holes in the resurrected Jesus' hands to believe. See, some struggled with doubts. Even after seeing Jesus raised from the dead. Even seeing some multiple times Jesus raised from the dead. And praise God. Praise God that he calls 11-ish men and women like Peter and Thomas who come limping with doubts up the mountain to meet the resurrected king, ready to receive more, ready to live for more than what they are and who they are. Don't miss this. Jesus, he builds his indestructible church with broken people like Peter who find a new identity in Christ's work on the cross. And that is good news. In fact, the same God who sent his son into the world to save us now sends us into the world to proclaim the good news of salvation. Now, there might be many reasons this morning when you read this why you might have given your life, why you have given your life to living in obedience to King Jesus's mission. Maybe you have lots of excuses for why you have not. Uh, Maybe you didn't realize that coming to Jesus in faith means to make disciples of all nations. Well, now you know. Or maybe you have some other limps that are tripping you up or slowing you down. Do you have past sins like Peter who denied Jesus three times or Paul who actually killed Christians? Did you know that you have a new identity in Christ and that God in his infinite grace can even take our past sin and shame and take it and twist it and turn it and reshape it and transform it in such a way that he can actually bring glory to his name even because of your past sins and experiences? It's the kind of God that we have. Maybe you feel like you gimp because you don't know God's word well enough to be on mission. You know, I I bet that if you found, and this is you, and you found someone to disciple you weekly over the next two years, you'd be amazed at how God could change your confidence in the word of God. Or maybe you falter over the cost of time or money, or do you just not want to be bothered? Maybe you stumble, stumble over unconfessed sin in your love or you fail to love others sacrificially. Well, those are things you need to repent of. But, but catch Jesus' response to the worshipers who doubted. Jesus doesn't completely fix them before he sends them. Did you notice that? He doesn't answer every one of their questions and fix every one of their weaknesses before he sends them to go and tell the nations about the glory of God. Disciples, hear me, disciples grow as they go. In fact, I would say if you don't go, you're probably not gonna grow. Those things work hand in hand. See, some people have a hard time with this text because they define a disciple as being a black ops special services kind of believer as opposed to every believer. But catch this, that's alien to the Bible. Every true Christian is a disciple sent on Christians, on Christ's mission. So please hear me. Jesus sends imperfect disciples to do his perfect work. That means that he's enlisted us. There's a second thing that we see here, though, in verse 18. It's the king of the universe that speaks to his church. It's the king of the universe that speaks to his church. Now, you'll notice here something very important. Our efforts to disciple others says something about how well we've listened to who Jesus says Jesus is. In other words, if we really listen close to who Jesus says he is then we are going to be obedient to what he calls us to do. And just notice what Jesus says before these beleaguered disciples. He reveals himself as the great king who has received all authority and heaven on earth. Uh, look what he says in verse 18. He leads with saying this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now that means that he is saying, I am speaking with a kind of authority that is otherworldly. There is no other authority like the authority that I am coming to you with. And what that means is is that whatever words come from my mouth come with that kind of force and that kind of meaning. Now, does this mean the eternal Son of God gained more authority by virtue of his work on the cross and resurrection? Since it has been given to him, is it as though he did not have it? I I don't think so. I think the Bible is very clear from beginning to end that Jesus is the God-man. But Don Carson helps us here when he says this. He says, It's not Jesus' authority per se that has become more absolute. Rather, the sphere in which he now exercises absolute authority are now enlarged to include all heaven and earth, i.e. the universe. Jesus is seen and recognized as the king of kings in a new and profound way. And it's in that moment that Jesus speaks to his disciples, and he says, Therefore, Therefore, because I have all authority in verse 19, therefore, Jesus says that his mission for the church is that they be disciple-making disciples. Notice what he says in verses 19 to 20. You can look there with me. Here we see that Jesus commands the church to go and make disciples of all nations. Go and make disciples of all nations. Now, you'll notice that there it says, go therefore, verse 19, go therefore, And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Now the therefore, of course, is pointing back to Jesus' unparalleled authority. I know that some have said when they look at this go, they say, this go is really saying as you go, make disciples. As in like, just kind of do your thing and then like make disciples along the way. And I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing to see. But I do think that we need to acknowledge that here we find that it is the King of Kings that's telling us to do something as we go. And so it does then again carry the kind of force of an imperative saying that we need to be a going people. See, Jesus didn't, uh, didn't Jesus lead with all authority on heaven, on earth that has been given to him? And if that's true, then that therefore carries that kind of cosmic weight. And Jesus' cosmic authority actually propels ordinary Christians to become part of Jesus' mission to make disciples of all nations. Imagine how nuts that must have sounded to a number of disciples who probably never traveled more than 100 miles from home. You're going to reach the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is almost 2,000 years before we would even have the iPhone 7, 8, 9, or 10. This is uh, 2,000 years before Delta would first take their flight out of Israel. And, And yet here what we find is, is that he is saying, you are going to, through you, I am going to make the good news of my kingdom known to everyone. I mean, this really sounds like the trailer to the original Mission Impossible. Who could do this? Well, we know that we can't do this by ourselves. That's really clear. But God can't. And part of being a disciple is joining God's mission of reaching the lost. So hear me. This call is going to challenge and be challenged by the individualism that is so part of our nature at every point. You know, our age recoils at thinking of others, especially those who are different than us. Uh, we, we, we hate to be put at inconvenience or, or to be put out of the way. But the call to make disciples is going to cost us time and money, and comfort, and our individual pursuits. In fact, I I sometimes feel like as a minister of the gospel, my office ought to say, he who embraces the awkward every day in all kinds of different crazy ways, get ready for it. I tell my interns all the time, if you're going to be a minister of the gospel, you need to get really comfortable with awkward. If you're gonna love people, you need to be able to embrace awkward and make it seem normal, because guess what it is? We are, by nature, after the fall, an awkward people who need God's grace at every point. And Jesus commands here, his command means that Christ's authority, not self-centered desire, propels our lives to look to love our neighbors and the neighborhood just got a lot bigger. Because it is the nations that we are called to love. And Jesus' command to this group of Jewish Christians couldn't have been more uncomfortable. They were to go to the Gentile nations and make them followers of King Jesus and members of his kingdom. Now, here's what that means. We seek to make disciples of our families in our context, of our church members, of our co-workers and people that we don't know yet and places that we haven't yet been. That's what God calls us to do, to think about Others who do not know Christ and opportunities that we have to display Christ and to make disciples of those people. And Jesus says here that there are a couple of priorities in making more disciples. Notice, he says, go therefore and make disciples. That make disciples is the one main verb. And there are two participles that hang off of it and tell us how that we make disciples. The first is this, by baptizing them in the name of the triune God. Now we we saw this, we see this in verse 19. We covered this uh, just a few weeks ago. But just be reminded that when Matthew talks about baptism, and Matthew talks a lot about the kingdom of God, baptism pictures entrance into God's kingdom with God's king and God's people. And this is seen most clearly, if not exclusively, this side of the cross in the local church. The local church is where you see God's kingdom, this side of the cross on earth, most clearly, if not exclusively. So that people from every tribe, tongue, and nation join God's kingdom and King Jesus' mission of making disciples. That's why you were baptized into the name of the triune God. You were joining something much bigger. So when you're getting baptized, it's actually a lot more like enlisting. You are enlisting in the mission of God. But there's a second thing that we see here in verse 20. And that is that disciples also teach other disciples to observe Jesus' commands. Now, Jesus says that the second part of disciple making is teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That includes proclaiming, that includes protecting, and that includes displaying. If we're going to make disciples and teach them to observe all that God has commanded and that Jesus has commanded, that means that we're going to have to proclaim, protect, and display. Now, proclamation is central to disciple making, and that's the argument that we're making throughout. See, the spoken word of the gospel causes us to be born again as disciples of Jesus. In other words, that first move that you make towards God was actually ignited and initiated by your hearing of the word of God, the gospel, the good news of what Jesus Christ had done. So proclamation is, is where it begins. But we also know that it's not only where it begins because uh, we find elsewhere that it is something that continues to work in our lives. In fact, we find in 1 Peter one twenty three that Peter tells us that we have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed through the living and abiding word of God. It's the word of God that caused us to be born again. Acts 4.12 also tells us there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. We need the proclamation of the word of God for salvation. See, Jesus saves us from God's just wrath on us for our sins, which would have landed us in hell forever. That's the right consequence for our sins. I love what uh, R.C. Sproul says because it's so clear. He said this in his famous book, Saved From What? His answer was really short and clear and helpful. He says, we have been saved by God from God. And that's the truth of the gospel. We deserve the just wrath of God, but in his infinite mercy, he sent his son to save us. Proclamation of the gospel brings new birth, which in turn causes us to be a proclaiming people. So the word that gives us life also becomes the thing that our life is about. So you'll notice that we began our churchology series in 1 Peter 2.9, where Josh Grever told us how God has, calling us, has called us as a chosen race for this purpose that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. In other words, baptism doesn't just picture union with Christ and his church, but his mission. So baptism, here again, is like being enlisted in God's mission of proclaiming Christ and teaching others to observe all that Jesus has commanded. Isn't that what the resurrected Lord did in Luke 24, 27? Didn't Jesus, when he came back, Teach people about Himself and how all the Bible points to Him and makes much of Him. You, you remember that on that road to Emmaus in Luke twenty-four twenty-seven, that His evangelistic model, His model of discipleship, was to begin with Moses and all the prophets and interpret to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. So if Jesus has got limited time between the resurrection and the ascension, what does Jesus spend his time doing? Teaching disciples about who he is and what that means for their lives. And brothers and sisters, if that is what Christ is spending those few days that he has between the lines, that is exactly what we ought to be thinking about spending our lives about. God has called us to make much of Christ and show that he is the Messiah, the King, the Savior that others need. Displaying the power of the gospel is critical to disciple making so that when we think about proclaiming the gospel, we need to know that the church is not being serious about the mission of proclaiming the gospel if they're not serious about living and loving like Jesus. We need to proclaim the gospel, Uh, but not only do we need to proclaim it, we need to protect it. Now here's one area where I I just am really struck when I look at a number of churches, and particularly when I hear sermons on TV. I'm not saying all sermons on TV are bad. But so often when I hear the word dealt with in these other contexts, I think that the church and many churches have lost a heart for protecting the word of God and making sure that the gospel is true in accordance with what the scriptures say. And if we really believe that the true gospel is the only way to salvation in Christ, then then this is a serious deal. And I don't don't know that I feel or sense that some churches take it seriously enough. 1 Timothy 3.16 says this of the nature of what the church is. He describes it as this, the pillar and buttress of truth. You know what a pillar is? A pillar is something that holds something up. A buttress is something that holds something out. And so here we see this image that the church is really to hold up the truth The truth of the gospel of who Christ is and hold out anyone who might come in, wolves or others, who might compromise that truth, change, distort it, or add to it. And yet so many churches are just kind of like, hey, we just want to affect people and influence people and help them, make them feel spiritual. And we're not really so important with whether or not we are saying what the word of God says. And brothers and sisters, if we're not taking the word of God seriously, we might be signing tickets to hell on a daily basis. If we take the gospel seriously, we know that there is no other way by which man, woman, and child might be saved before a holy and righteous God because we deserve judgment, but God is infinitely good and he has given us the way, but it is a way. It is the way. There is no other. We need to make sure that we're protecting the gospel for the good of others. But not only do we protect it, we need to display the power of the gospel in disciple making. Now I know that when some people talk about the gospel is being, gospel proclamation is being central to the mission of the church. Others are like, well, you feel a little bit like a, a, you're advocating a talking head, right? Well, let me just say really clearly, we are by no means saying that we believe in a cheap kind of gospel that doesn't always result in changed and transformed lives. We believe in a gloriously powerful gospel that comes with the Holy Spirit and that changes people, and we see that happening all around us. I'm excited about all of the testimonies of God's grace here at Trinity Bible Church. We don't believe in another gospel than that. But we need to make sure that we, at the same time, are remaining absolutely vigilant that we are believing in the true gospel of the Bible. Now, that said, when some people talk about incarnational ministry, on the other hand, they seem like sometimes they might underestimate the uniqueness of Jesus as the Christ, right? In fact, Michael Horton had this article where he was talking about incarnational ministry and he said it almost seems like some people who talk about this have a messiah complex where they don't understand that jesus was king and the god man and they're not well i just want you to know i know that i'm not jesus in fact if you've ever been on jesus's mission you quickly figure out that you are not jesus because you realize, don't you, if you've tried to share Christ with others and you've tried to encourage them and you've tried to step into the mess of their lives and point them to the, the, the kind of uh, help that's only available in Christ, you know, you know that you need Jesus because you're not Jesus, right? Amen? Like, if you've really tried to help people, you know that. I'm not infinite. So we join Jesus' mission and we find that we need help. Yet, we also recognize that Philippians 2 invites us to follow Jesus' example of humility and laying down our life for the church. And Jesus calls us to love our neighbors and even our enemies, so that if you're a Christian, you you are told this, that you have the Holy Spirit sealed upon you, and you are the temple of the living God where His presence dwells. Wherever Christ's Spirit is, Christ's kingdom is. And you will observe Jesus' word. Now, doesn't Jesus say that that our love for one another will actually set us apart as his disciples, that, that practical outworking of love, not just the feeling that we have inside, but that outward display of loving others sacrificially. And God calls us sons and daughters because we really do image him to those who are living in darkness. See, transformed lives, they, they light up with the power of the gospel. So here's the deal. I believe every Christian longs to be fruitful and faithful on mission for God and I think they want it in that order. Let me say it again, every Christian I believe wants to be fruitful and faithful on mission for God, and I think they want it in that order, and here's what I mean. I think that most Christians, and hear me, come in close, we want to be fruitful now, right? How many of you are like, man, if I could just get like a whole wagon of fruit today, I would feel super good about loving Jesus, and I wish we could just like do that right now. Anybody wanna sign up for that? Absolutely. Here's the problem we also know that the Bible says that we need to be faithful if we're gonna be fruitful. And a lot of us can never get to the fruit because we can't ever be faithful because faithful is hard work and fruit tastes good. And here's the problem. I'm impatient for fruit. And so because I'm impatient for fruit, I'm not ever able to actually get to the fruit, right? And God blesses faithfulness. I've seen it time and time again. It's those who are suffering well, who are serving Christ, who are spending time and making sacrifices that are seeing growth in themselves and in others because of their ministry. And so we we want so much to be fruitful and faithful. I believe everybody in this room longs to be fruitful for the glory of God. Maybe some ourselves, but we know that we ought to want to be fruitful for the glory of God. We want instant meaningful relationships. We want everyone we share Christ with to come to Christ immediately. We we want to understand the word of God without spending time listening and studying. How many people do you know that want to teach without listening or loving others sacrificially? I remember when I was 23, I I went to intern at a church and I'd grown up in the church so I felt like, man, I know my Bible well and all of a sudden I realized that they were thinking about the Bible in ways that i had never seen before. They were practically applying it in every area of life, and I'd never seen that. And I remember that moment feeling like I just needed to get really quiet and listen really hard if I wanted to grow. And it was in that moment that I said, you know what, I don't know anything. I thought I knew a lot. I don't know much. And I thought I was a really good Christian. I realized I just didn't do a lot of bad stuff. And I said, you know, I want to just spend the next five years listening and growing and seeing what God might do with a guy like me who doesn't have a lot to offer. And I want to tell you what I was shocked at was how much God did in my life over the next Three, four, and five years, exponentially, each year, I saw God doing things in my life, freeing me of sin, helping me grow in grace, helping me grow in encouraging others, and being sacrificial in my love for others. Now, if you know me, you know I have a long way to go, but it's amazing if you could have seen what I looked like five years ago, right? Or 10 years ago, or 15 years ago. And so I think a lot of us, if we really want to be fruitful, we need to decide that we're going to join the five-year plan. We're, going to, we're not going to look at being fruitful as something that somebody's going to meet with me for a week and it's going to change or six months. But what over the next five years can I do and commit myself to and believe that God is going to do something significant in my life? Well, your elders are serious about equipping you as the church to become disciple-making disciples. And here at Trinity, we have four major contexts for making disciples who go and make disciples Uh, These are ways that that I have seen churches grow and invest in people and produce fruit. These are ways that have blessed me and encouraged me and our other elders. And these are ways that we believe that if you give yourself for five years faithfully, I believe you will grow more fruitful. Now, some of you are thinking I've never done anything five years in a row. Well, just give yourself to these things for five years in a row, and I would be shocked if you don't see greater growth in your life. And if you don't see it, I would be even more shocked if others don't see it. So here's the first thing. Be faithful on Sunday mornings when we gather as a church to hear the preaching, singing, prayer, and reading of scriptures. See, the Holy Spirit is knitting us together and shaping us in gathered worship. Hebrews 10, 19 to 25 is very clear that we are called as disciples to gather and all the more as we see the day approaching. And as far as I can tell, we are closer to the Jesus, the Jesus's return than they were when they said that in Hebrews 10. And so we should be gathering more, but especially on Sunday mornings as we are worshiping together. Second, community groups. They meet every week or every other week here at Trinity, typically in people's homes, and they are meant to offer a level of intimacy that you don't get in a normal service. Now, these, these groups typically go through the text that we've preached on Sunday uh, and are meant to offer a context where you as our members or our other visitors can discuss how God's word applies to your life, where you can share life with others, and seek God's face in prayer together. Now, three years ago, uh, these were closed, but we opened them up, and the reason that we opened them up to visitors is because we want to offer a context where Christians can learn about hospitality. You know, how are you going to learn to be hospitable if you haven't actually seen other Christians be hospitable? And community groups are a great opportunity for that. You can make disciples showing them what does it look like to welcome someone who is an outsider in. Uh, it's a great opportunity for evangelistic op- opportunities. Uh, you know, you have in these community groups an opportunity if you have a non-Christian friend who you want to invite and, and, and help them meet other non-Christians who they might think are really weird, uh, they might see that they're not as weird as they thought or maybe they're weird in different ways that aren't so bad. And, and they're able to actually see them not in the context maybe of a, a larger gathering that's intimidating, but they can actually meet real people in real time. And it's in those contexts that you can invite your friends to hear the gospel. You know, you might be here uh, right now and thinking to yourself, I'm not a great evangelist. But I bet somebody in, one, in your community group loves to share Jesus and can help you share Jesus with your neighbors, with your friends, with the people that you've been sharing Christ with. You know, we can tag team this and bring people to Christ. Uh, I, I've seen this so many times, even over the last two months, right? We've had people who have come and come to groups like our Hope for Addictions group and Uh, They come because somebody from the church invited them to go to this group and then Jim Hughes and Och and others shared Christ with them and then they believe Christ and now we have, I think, something like three or four people from our Hope for Addictions group who are going to be joining our church this week. Now, why is that? That's that's not because it was just one person like just being an all-star, it was because it was a team of people loving people in the way that Christ has loved us, surrounding them with the love of Christ. Uh, had another thing similar to that happen uh, just recently. We had a guy who was, felt like his life was off track, went and got a haircut from Ashley. And Ashley said, hey, why don't you come to church? And she was like, I didn't even want to ask because I've asked like 500 people. And nobody ever came. And then he came. Uh, and then all of a sudden, he starts coming and he joins a college and career class. And then I start meeting with him weekly to go through Galatians. And then he accepts Christ. And he's excited about what Christ is doing. And we're seeing things like this happen all over. And here's what the beautiful thing about this picture When you think about who was it that led these people to the Lord, I think we would say Jesus did, and he used all of us, and it's so fun to work together. See, the local church is a body that can help bring people to Christ in unity as we use our various gifts, as we are hungry and eager to see the gospel go forth. Uh, Third, we encourage our members, not only for community groups and Sunday mornings, but our members to meet every week or two for one-to-one discipleship with someone else from Trinity or a non-Christian. Uh, Now, you can meet with somebody else, but we really want to make sure that we have committed ourselves in covenant with one another, that we are focusing on making disciples with those who have covenanted with us. We also are eager to see non-Christians come to Christ and catch this, discipleship, according to Matthew 28, begins with people who are as far from possible from God as possible. And so what that means is these are non-Christians who you are making disciples with through the proclamation of the word of God. And so we've seen folks doing this all over the place. In fact, uh, I had a a guy just the other day who was telling me about what he was doing. He didn't feel like it was enough. He said, you know, hey, I've started this men's Bible study and we're having coffee. And then I've got three men that I'm meeting with to do one-to-one discipleship. And he said, you know, and of course, I've been doing other Bible studies at church. I just want to make sure I'm doing the right stuff. And I said, are you kidding me? If everybody was as engaged as you in meeting with three other people to go through the word of God and point them to Christ in all of their lives, our church would be a completely different place. Brothers and sisters, it might be that the very thing that is so easy is the thing that you've been avoiding or, or you just haven't paid attention to, and it could be the thing that could bring the greatest amount of fruit. Small, faithful, consistent Meeting with others, pointing to them to Christ week after week, seeing God change people and transform them from one degree of glory to the next. I always wish that said like 10 or 20 degrees, but it's one degree of glory to the next. And that's exactly the way that God works. I'm always looking to meet with multiple people myself. Um, And I know we have others who do this. In fact, I've had a couple of testimonies of people that have joined the church recently who have just talked about Drew Lynn Gentle and the way that her ministry has been an encouragement to them because she has met with them and gone through the Word for years. And we have seen the change and the fruit in the lives of these women because of what Drew Lynn has poured into them. And there are many others who are doing the same thing. So seek to meet with someone else. Be excited when you find a non-Christian who's actually willing to sit down and read the Bible with you. And pray that God would bring more fruit in your life. Fourth, we have equipped classes that are aimed at Christians looking to grow in discipleship, making disciples, or even pursuing pastoral ministry. Why? Because we as elders take seriously Paul's command in Ephesians 4.12 that we are to equip the saints for the works of ministry. See, we believe that if we're going to reach our neighborhoods, we need to reach you. That if you are changed, then you will change. We can change together the world. And the church equips individual Christians to get into the crevices of this world with the gospel. The classes that we have here, uh, we are so grateful for those who are teaching in our church, who are gifted at teaching. They are equipping you at a high level that we cannot always be promised we will have to be able to share the gospel with others. And you need to take advantage of those classes if you want to grow in your ability to make disciples. Now, I, I know that some people at, at Trinity um, have said that they struggle to connect from time to time. Most people say we're a loving church. Uh, I had a call last week from somebody who was like, Man, I, I've been here for a little while and we're struggling to connect. We've only had like one elder invite us over uh, to their home and we just want to have a kind of church that is like a family. Don't, don't y'all want a church like that? Isn't that, is, is it just me and them? And is that kind of, yeah? I think that here's the deal. Like, we all want a church to be like that, but we don't really want that to rest on our shoulders to have to create that. And what I would encourage you to do today is just say, you know what, I want a church like that, and that's not going to happen until I change individually. So can I just ask each of you if you would just prayerfully consider having another family over to the church, and you get, like, bonus points if it's somebody that, like, you've never had over before? Anybody willing to like do that with me? I'm asking you to pray about it. Can I get, nobody's gonna pray with me on this. I'm gonna like guilt trip you into this and I believe it's the Holy Spirit. So like it feels weird, it's good. Um, More hands, I need, I'm I'm just looking for like 20, 30. Okay, now really y'all are gonna pray with me about that. I'm gonna do it or y'all gonna do it. Like I do it, but I love it. But I want you to love it. Guys, that's a great first step in making relationships with people where you can enter into disciple relationships. And it's just that natural. It might feel weird, but if it feels weird, it's good. It means you're doing the right thing. And that's the opportunity, the context that you can have in somebody's life to start to make a difference. To have a voice in their life to point them towards Christ. So let's do that together. Now, if you're one of those that's like, man, I'm having struggling uh, trouble connecting. Uh, I would also say this to you. or, or, or If you're struggling to connect, are you engaged in a community group and coming faithfully on Sunday mornings? Have you sought someone to meet with one-to-one? Have you sought to befriend someone else that you think might be struggling with loneliness as well? Could it be that God wants you to be part of the solution rather than an indication of the problem? Do these things for five years faithfully, and I bet you will be shocked by the fruit, the work you won't be surprised by, the fruit I think you will be surprised by. In fact, I've been encouraged by the fruit of those who have been faithful in these contexts over the last five years to see the growth in their lives to the glory of God. See, disciples need, uh, need to see us, and we need to be, as disciples, faithful in coming to church, reading our Bibles, giving, evangelizing, loving our husbands and wives, taking meals to the sick, being hospitable to outsiders, and making more disciples. Disciples need to be faithful in confessing and repenting of sin. You know, I I think it's so important. Part of discipleship is not that you are so perfect and you say, like, this is what Jesus looks like. You you do want to say that, but you also want to be clear. And let me also confess and repent of sin because I am not Christ. I need Christ too. So could it be that God wants us all to grow in these areas? I believe he does, that we might make more disciples to the glory of his name. See, disciple making is messy and painful and you will feel ill-equipped. But catch this, Jesus gives us an amazing promise as we go. That awkwardness is met by a promise. And here's the promise in verse 20. Jesus promises his presence at all times, saying, And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So as you're feeling awkward and ill-equipped, you are reminded that you are not going alone, that Christ is actually going with his people. Now, if you look in John 17 and Acts 2, what you'll find is that helper that He gives us is His Holy Spirit, which is sealed upon our hearts, which actually goes with us as we go as the people of God. So the Spirit actually takes us, propels us on mission for Christ. Here's what Frederick Bruner says, and this is so encouraging. He says this of this text. He says, Jesus is preceding all authority and succeeding all presence. Support the Central All Nations Commission. Jesus' grace precedes, accompanies, and follows the disciples. Obedience, the indicative of Christ's strength, goes before, alongside, and after the imperative of disciples' responsibilities. We are covered, supported, surrounded. Mission with all of these aids can be very exciting. And and maybe that's you this morning. You've, You've not been active and engaged in mission. And it stunted your growth, but it's also discouraged you. And it's because you forgot about all of the resources that are available to you in the scriptures as you go. See, this mission is greater than anything in the history of humanity, and it seems so ordinary and hard. But don't you want to see more disciples? Jesus does. So let me just encourage you towards a number of priorities as we close. Uh, Remember, like, meet with someone one-to-one. Look to be a part of a community group. Come to equipping classes as you're able to. Those are great ways to grow and mature as a disciple. But not only that, remember that we have, as a church, a part of a grander mission. God has made us as part of a a mission of making disciples of all nations, and we're doing that in other ways, like through our internship. Can I tell you how excited I am about our interns over the past three years? Uh, And and Just to to highlight one, Japheth has come to us, as a pastor, training for ministry, who's about to go back, and he's going to pastor a church that's been going through a difficult time and hopefully plant other churches in the Philippines, and we're getting to partner with him in that, isn't that exciting that we're getting to see the gospel go to the nations? And when I see Jafet preach, and when I hear him share our children, share with our children at SAF, I just get excited about the future of the gospel for the Philippines. And I get excited because I know that we get to be part of what God's going to be doing there. Something way far outside of us, God's going to be at work. Uh, not only that, I'm excited that uh, this year we've been able to take on 20 schemes, a church planning ministry mission to unreached people in Scotland. And we're seeing churches planted there. They, they want to plant 20 churches in 10 years. Uh, they've already planted 10 in five, and we're hoping to be part of seeing maybe God exceed their expectations for how the gospel is going to spread throughout Scotland. Uh, We have many other places where we are being engaged. Um, I'm excited about our own opportunities to plant and revitalize churches here. You might not know this, but we have a couple of churches here in the valley that have been absolutely shaped by our relationship with them. Uh, They they literally ask, what do you do? And then they go home and they like do that. Uh, Why? Because they are encouraged by the way that we are following what the Bible says and making much of Jesus. Uh, I'm excited about Mobile Food Pantry and Hope for Addictions as I told you before, we have uh, three new baptisms and four new members coming from that ministry and the work of Jim Hughes, Och, and many other of our members who come and share Christ and love others who come to that group. And what about the fruit of those who are sharing Christ all around us in all kinds of ways? Uh, I got to read again the testimony of B, who we're going to be taking in as a member today. And he has this crazy testimony of how he was living a super dark life. Um, And then all of a sudden, he was having a daughter. He said, you know, things probably have to change. And so he got a better job than what he had, which was, uh, you know, repossessing vehicles. And so he actually showed up to the wrong door one day. And you know whose door he he showed up to? Yeah, Stephen Anderson's. And so he shows up to his door, and uh, Stephen comes and greets him. And he said, hey, come on in, have cookies or whatever. And he's sitting there shocked because he's like, nobody invites the repo man in. And he was like, this is crazy enough to work. So he walks in and Stephen begins sharing the gospel with him and leads to, to B coming to Christ, and now he's amongst us sharing Christ with others and excited about the gospel. And that's all because Stephen, on a day that he probably wasn't planning for a visit from the repo man, decided to like invite him in, share Christ with him, disciple him, and spend lots of time on B. And it probably took a lot of time, right, Stephen, sharing the gospel. B you took a lot of time, didn't you? Probably inconvenient, and yet God is bearing fruit through that sacrifice. That's the way that God works, us sacrificing our time, trusting God with the fruit. We're going to hear other testimonies of God's grace at our our meeting in just a minute, so I'm not going to uh, sort of uh, ruin all the the highlights. But all I can say is, is God has called us to make disciples through the proclamation of the word. I am thrilled at the way that God is actually doing that here amongst us. I'm excited about it, and I'm hoping that God does much more of it. It's not because of us. It's all because of the glory of God and his goodness in ways that we don't deserve. Let's pray.